Today is a very unusual day for me as we finish our studies in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, perhaps St. Matthew in the church that you grew up in, you'd hear a reading, the church I grew up in, same thing, we hear a reading from the Gospel of St. Matthew, and that's what we've been studying. And the reason it's unusual is today is our 141st sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. We've taken some breaks, but we started in December of 2016 which means that I have probably spent about 2,000 hours with Matthew, and I'm going to confess to you, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss hanging out with my good friend. And uh, these final verses which I just read, the final five verses, have, have taught me and reminded me what Matthew, let's put it this way, what Matthew wanted to stick what Matt, we might call the takeaways. If you said, Matthew, what are the takeaways from your, from your gospel? He would just say, well, read the last five and then go back to the beginning and you'll be able to make sense of it. So let's look at them and run through them again quickly. Verse 16, which was our 16 and 17 was our first week of this three-part series. Then the 11 disciples, uh, that was, it was 12, but Judas Iscariot uh, betrayed Jesus and committed suicide, went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So Jesus said, go to this place, I'm going to meet you there. Go back home, go away from Jerusalem, go back home, and I'm going to meet you there. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We said that some people translate that word hesitated. And so I guess I was reminded from those two verses that, you know, at some point in time in our lives, we can all betray Jesus. At some point in time in our lives, we can all leave Jesus. At some point in time, we can doubt Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're watching, but this is the reality for followers of Jesus. And, and so we, we must keep going despite our failures. Uh, you know, even if our friends don't keep going, we keep going. And Jesus seems to be okay with doubt. It's not something he's really longing for, but, you know, he's, he, he's seen it before. It's not a big deal. Uh, verse 18 was what we covered last week in part two, and Jesus came and spoke to them. And I, I love that. I remember, I was thinking about that. He, whenever he comes and speaks, it's important to remember that whenever we open our Bibles, Jesus comes to us and speaks to us. And so Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, and now here's what's an amazing thing about what he says. He makes a great claim about himself. He says, all, remember we said there's four great alls, that's the first one. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus claims that he is the king of the cosmos, he is the Lord over all. Now after hearing that, I think what you would expect to hear next uh, you know, something about Jesus would talk about uh, his authority and what that would look like. But that's not what Jesus does. You can't put Jesus in a box. Just when you think you got him, he surprises you. So he doesn't talk about what that authority will look like. He talks about how we are to live in light of that authority. And so Jesus looks the apostles right in the eye. Now remember that the apostles are representative disciples. Disciples are simply learners and followers of Jesus. And who are those people? Those people who really love the reality that Jesus is Lord and calls us to live out of the reality of his authority or live out the reality of his authority. And, and he tells us about responsibilities. Now, a lot of people don't think that being a follower of Jesus comes with responsibilities, but it, but it does. And so those responsibilities don't get our sins forgiven, don't get us to heaven. That's called salvation or being saved. That, they, those responsibilities, doing them, don't save us, but demonstrate the reality that we have received the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, that the Holy Spirit has come to live with inside of us. The reality of our salvation is demonstrated by following after these responsibilities. And so... As we'll see, the basic command to all followers of Jesus is somewhat assumed that you are to be a disciple. But today we're going to see the basic command, once you are a disciple, is to make disciples. Or as we like to say around our church, help people grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we do here 
each week when we teach the Word of God. Now, I have a very interesting thing that happens here to the church. If you're watching and you've done this to me, this has happened so many times. I'm not thinking about any one person individually. But a lot of times, you know, where we are here in the Northeast, there's not really many Bible-teaching churches. And, and people will come up to me after the service, and they'll be in tears. And I'll be like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And they'll go, it was, it was, it was. And I go, it was about God. And they go, yes. How sad that that is shocking to so many people. That church would actually be about God himself, not necessarily just the way you live. And it's in knowing God and loving God that we live out of that, not just a bunch of rules and regulations. And, and when we grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ, this is actually, and we make disciples, which we'll be talking about soon, this is actually our part in bringing Jesus' sovereign authority to bear on the world. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's lots of talk about that stuff, but Jesus is going to tell us today we, not, we, need, we need a lot more action to go along with the talk. Now, in, in church in America, there's, people focus on a lot of different things. A lot of people focus on sacraments. A lot of people focus on decisions for Christ. But as we're going to see, those are not Jesus' parting words. He, he doesn't really say much about that throughout the whole gospel. But, but what he says here, his final command to his followers, to the church, is to make disciples. And that's what he's going to talk to us about today. Now, that was common in the ancient world. You would have a, somebody would have their disciples. But with Jesus, it was very, very different. With Jesus, there were no barriers to entry. You know, you used to have to come from the right family or have the right economic status or be the right gender, uh, maybe the right ethnicity. Um, stumbling over that word. <laughs> all, you, all you need, you have to come from the right ethnic background. And all you need, though, to really be a disciple of Jesus is faith. You need to put your trust in Jesus. Now, it's not an academic thing. A lot of people, particularly maybe about 20, 30 years ago, thought it was all based upon how much you know about God, how much you know the Bible. Oh, he, he's really, he's serious. He, he knows the Bible. Well, let us remind ourselves that Satan knows the Bible better than any of us, and I don't think we would call him a disciple. So it is important to know the Bible. Please don't get me wrong there, uh, but, but that's not exactly the whole thing. Uh, it's, it's not about good works, although good works are important, but good works don't save you. Good works are what we do after we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We simply come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and then we begin to follow Jesus. So in the ancient world, discipleship was big. It was not to a school. It was not to a school of thought. It was to a person. It was actually to a teacher. You might even call him your master. But, but why Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus, that's a legit question. Why Jesus? Why not other teachers? Matthew 20, 28, Jesus tells us, just as the Son of Man, that's his favorite name for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give, we'll come back to that word in a little bit, his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to purchase you, to purchase me, for God. We were captives, if you will, and there needed a ransom to be paid. We were captive to our sin, and Jesus paid the ransom to free us and to bring us to God. And how did he prove it? He proved it by living a perfect life, dying on the cross, and rising from the dead. So the title of our message today is The Great Commission Part 3 with a subtitle, and the subtitles are really the titles of the message, Making Disciples. Now today, if you're taking notes, I want to break it up into three parts, which the verses do not cooperate with my outline at all, but that's okay. If you're taking notes, number one is the commission. The commission. Look at, look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Let's just stop right there for a second and let's go slowly. Go Therefore, why, why, therefore, why? Because of my authority, verse 18, and make disciples. 
That's what we call in Bible study an imperative. It is a command of all, second time he uses the word all, the nations. Now, we hear that, and if you've been around the church a long time, you think, yeah, I heard this thing a million times before. Once a year, the pastor preaches on it. We don't do that here, but other places, maybe once a year, the pastor preaches on it. But, and we hear it, it sort of kind of goes through us. And that's, you got to be really careful when you read Bible passages that you're familiar with, because sometimes we think, I got this one, I don't need this one. But we have to put ourselves or in, into their sandals. We have to go back to the first century, and we have to realize how earth-shattering what Jesus just said was. See, they were Jews, and Yahweh was their God. And the rest of the world was Gentiles. And they were fine with the Gentiles coming to them. But now Jesus says, I want you to go to them. Jesus calls, commands, commissions a duty and a responsibility for all followers of Jesus to make disciples of all the nations. Do you realize what he just said? Something, if you're a parent, you've said to your little two and three and four-year-old many, many times before. He just said, I want you to share me with the nations. I want you to share me with the rest of the world. Sometimes in Christians, we get into our holy huddles. We call them the frozen chosen. And, and we think about Jesus as we're like a two-year-old, mine, mine. No, no, share, share. That's what we're supposed to do. And, and so we talk about discipleship. We have to talk about what it's not. The church in America admires those who can make people, who can get people to make a decision for Jesus, make you feel a certain amount of guilt or, or condemnation and come on forward. And if you want to invite Jesus into your heart and a lot of times it's because you want to have a better life or something like that, and then we wonder why when things don't get better for them, they don't want any part of the church anymore. They say it doesn't work for me. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say just call people for decisions. But we admire people who can do that. But heaven admires people who can make disciples. And it's a lot different. You see, compared to making disciples, decisions are easy. Making disciples is tough. It is heartbreaking work. It is messy work. And it requires lots of effort. As Americans, I think because we're so concerned with with numbers, it's, it's easy to miss what Jesus is saying. The essence of the Great Commission is not just to tell people about Jesus. That is very important. That is very, very important. Please don't think I'm saying that's not. But that's not really the the heart and soul of the Great Commission. It's part of it, but it's not the heart and soul. It's not just to preach the gospel, although that's really important. Now, that's a word we throw around a lot. Maybe you're watching us today, and you're thinking, okay, I hear that word, but I really don't know what it means. Let me just give you a quick 60-second rundown. So God takes the world. He speaks. The universe leaps into existence. He, he puts us here on earth, and he tells us how to live. He says, don't lie. You ever tell a lie? Raise your hand if you told a lie. I see you. I see you. Do you ever steal anything? Do you ever steal anything? Now, if you're watching and you're not a regular attender of this church, you're thinking, well, I'm sure the people in Pastor Jim's church don't steal. They do. They've got more pens that have our church's name on it at home than you could ever imagine. They take a pen home every week. Those pens are for the guests, not for them. You can have a few, but come on. And so Jesus tells us, you know, Lord tells us a lot of different things that we're not supposed to do. Then Jesus elevates it. Don't murder. Well, if you think evil in your heart, you're murdered. Don't commit adultery, God says in the Ten Commandments. Jesus says if you lust it in your heart, that you've committed adultery in your heart. So because of these things, we sinned against God. God told us what to do. We, did, we said, we ain't doing what you say. We sinned against him. We call that the fall of man. God knew we were helpless. And in his great love, God sent Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life 
in your place. Let me ask you a question. Are you a perfectionist? You don't have to be one anymore. Jesus lived a perfect life for you in your place. Jesus died on the cross for you in your place for your sins. So you don't have to be punished for your sins anymore. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. And then Jesus rose from the dead that proved that God was satisfied. And then this is what God does in his great love. He says anybody that will turn from their going their own way. We talked about all the different sins that we do. And will turn to me. Will live for me with my help. And put their trust in Jesus instead of me. All those people I will offer the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. I will adopt them as my own children. So trusting in Jesus instead of yourself. Why are you going to heaven, friend? Because you're a good person, you're trusting in yourself. Are you willing today to trust in the life of another? That is the good news of the gospel. You don't have to do it. As we just sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You don't have to do it. Jesus did it for you. You just have to respond in faith and trust. The essence of this this group of verses, the Great Commission, uh, is not just to grow our church. Because how one grows a church is very, very important. It's easy to grow a church what we call a mile wide and an inch deep. Just tell people what they want to hear. That is not making disciples. That is just attracting a crowd. You say, well, that's kind of judgmental. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6, Beware when all men speak well of you, for so they did of your fathers, the false prophets. Those were the guys who were running around saying, Everything's great, no problem, don't worry about it. That's not discipleship. Jesus goes much deeper than all of this. He wants us to be mature in him, and he wants us to lead others to maturity in Christ. And out of that, many, if not most, in some sense, will arise to be leaders. You see, unless the church is mature, that's the only way it will stay strong over generations, and for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you're going to agree with what I say right now, it explains the weakness of so many of followers of Jesus right now. In our focus on putting people in the seats, in our focus on church growth and busyness, in many areas we've lost our discipleship focus. Listen to what the Apostle Timothy told uh, his young protege, Pastor Timothy. He said this, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what is he saying? He says, from me, I gave it to you, Timothy. That's what I did. I discipled you, Timothy. What I want you to do is I want you then to pick out some faithful men and I want you to teach it to them and tell them that they are to take that and they are to teach others. And that's enough to keep the faith going all the way from generation, from generation to generation and continually growing stronger and stronger and stronger. So to make a disciple is to focus on calling people to a lifelong and eternal commitment in, in, in and to the Lord Jesus Christ and to teach them what that means, but not only that, how to live it out. Now, years ago, the old preachers would say, I don't like fire and brimstone. They used to talk about repenting. Repenting, not a, lot, not a lot of talk about repenting. Repenting is simply turning to God and, and saying, okay, God, I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to turn to you. But now the, the, the talk is more about converts. And so we went through a season about 50 years ago, 40 years ago, where people talking, 30 even, we're talking about all it means to repent is just to change your mind. 
I'm not disagreeing with that you have to change your mind, but also understand that the Lord wants to change your heart and your will and my heart and my will. Mere intellectual knowledge, merely agreeing with God, does not make a disciple. Why? Well, it's important. We said it already because the Christian life is a life to be lived. Let me tell you what Jesus said, John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You abide in my word. Another version says, if you hold on to my teaching. Another says, if you continue in my word. Another says, if you are faithful to what I have said to you. Jesus said, you are my friend if you do what I command you. What's he trying to say? (laughs) He's trying to say, you're my friend if you do what I command you. Soul-searching question today. Am I a friend of Jesus? Okay, so we have to, we have to make disciples. That's, our, that's kind of our, our battle cry. Uh, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, point number two, I've just entitled the basics. The basics. I don't think this is the whole thing. I think this encompasses a lot of different things, uh, more so a summary. Uh, look at verse 19 again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, teaching them to observe, some versions say obey, all, there's the third all, things that I have commanded you. Let's just stop right there in the middle of the verse. So the, so the main command is to what? Is to make disciples. Now I'm going to shout out to the teachers Right now, and the teachers always love when I talk about stuff like this. And the, the teachers know that there are three what we call subordinate participles here. The main command, some of the kids are like right now, oh no, school on Sunday. The main command is to what? Make disciples. How do we do that? We go, we baptize, we teach. Now, again, I don't think it's limited to that. I think that's a, that's a summary. So Jesus says, go. What does it mean, go? For some of you, you're going to go various places in the world. Now, that's one of the reasons why we send money to missionaries. A lot of countries you go to, you, you can't work. Now, some of you are thinking, ooh, I'll become a missionary in a country where I can't work. That'll be great. They'll pay me money to stay at home. Well, we need fruit. We need to see that you're working. For others, it means that you're going to go where? Across the street. Perhaps you're going to go across the office to the next cubicle. You're going to go across the hallway, maybe if you're a student. The idea is, wherever you are, you're going to go. Notice it's not passive. We're not waiting for people to come to us. We're going to them. But to limit this to evangelism is to miss... The commission, the goal is not just a profession of faith. The goal is for people to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop here for a very, very important thing. It's not to make them a disciple of you. Sometimes I hear people talk about that like, oh, you know, Pastor Jim's church. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. Now, I could be snarky and say I don't want it but I won't. This is Jesus' church. Or a lot of times you'll hear people, they'll talk about the church, they'll say, oh, well, the priest this, the priest that, the pastor this, the pastor that. No, 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 no. That's poor discipleship. Poor discipleship. They are to be disciples of Jesus. Now, are we supposed to come to church? Absolutely. The scripture tells us not to neglect the, the gathering or the assembling of one another as such is the practice of some. So we are to come together at church, but then, and we're going to learn in a a bit what we're supposed to do in church, one of the things we're supposed to do in church anyway, and then what are we supposed to do? We come to church, we learn, we worship, we pray, we learn, and then what do we do? We go. We go. 
The church should be about discipleship. So we keep coming to church to be discipled, to be made into disciples and to be disciples and to be disciplers, and then we keep going out into the world or amongst one another making disciples. Now, here's a question where I can imagine some of you sitting there right now and saying, well, what about now? I mean, we're all locked in our houses. Everything is online. We're in a season of online church. Simple. Go online. You know, when Jesus went out, you know, his mama didn't raise no dummy. He went to where the people were. He spent his time praying alone with God, meditating on the Word of God. And then when he went out, he would go out and he would, he would meet with people, meet with his disciples. So go online. Use your phone. Reach out to people. Be creative. It's a very interesting situation I'm finding right now. I'm finding that a lot of people right now are sitting home bored silly and a lot of pe- other people are saying, I've never had more work in my whole life. <laughs> Things are just going nuts. And so be creative. Now, here's the thing. Very important to understand about the season we're in right now. We want to be ruled by faith and not by fear. Yet at the same time, we don't want to let foolishness replace Wisdom. And so we have to really think this through. You know, you think, well, I'm just going to go out and tell people about Jesus. Surgeon General said you should think of, every, of you having the disease, uh, the virus, and everybody you meet having the virus. So is it right to put people in danger in the name of God? I mean, think about that. You know, it's the name of Jesus that brings safety. Is it right for us to bring danger to people in God's name? I would say that's wrong. But not only is it wrong, it's illegal. Now, some people say, are we to obey God rather than men? No. But let's think about it for a second. Why should we, in the United States of America or any part in the world where you may be watching from, think that while people in the Bible were quarantined for sickness, we don't need to be. And so let's really think these things through before we get hyper-spiritual and people think that we sound like complete idiots. Next, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name, singular, not the names, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So a lot of us have a lot of traditional thinking about baptism. We have to forget about that for a minute. Uh, You know, what happens is, I've had this discussion with so many people over time, and they said, well, you know, our church has this tradition. I'll say, well, you know, that came about about, you know, 400 years later, 800 years later, 1,100 years later. And they'll say, well, yeah, but, you know, they can make up whatever they want. Not really. The founder of Christianity claimed to be God. And so we have to trust that we have to do what he says and what the apostles, the apostolic teaching that he gave to them. And so let's think about what the scripture talks about when it talks about baptism. Baptism is a one-time initiation and public declaration of faith into the Christian community. Let me say that again. It might be going too fast for some of you. Baptism is a one-time initiation and public declaration of faith into the Christian community. Now, here's a very interesting thing. I've actually been baptized three times. Not many people can say that. And you're thinking, oh, you're one of those re-baptism dudes, Pastor Jim. Nope. No, I'm not at all. Was baptized as a baby. Talk about in a second why I'm not a fan of that. I also actually became a follower of Jesus in the ocean, and I went underwater. You'll have to go on our website and listen to the message from Mark's gospel called One Salty Day to hear that story. But then I learned that baptism is a public declaration to the church, to the people of God, that you have 
saying to yourself, I am a follower of Jesus. So that was my true baptism, my third baptism in terms of what we're talking about here. So baptism is a one-time initiation and public declaration of faith into the Christian community while teaching is ongoing. I don't want to make any enemies here, but I'm going to make a few in the next few minutes, so you know, bear with me on this one. The New Testament can't imagine. Jesus and the apostles can't imagine a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a Christian. They all mean the same thing. Who has not been baptized and is not actively engaged in being taught the word of God. That is beyond the scope of the imagination of the Bible writers, Jesus and the apostles. Fair to say that baptism and teaching do not produce a disciple as much as they show us that they are the response of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus to the word of God. Now, baptism is a command once you've put your trust in Jesus. How do we know someone is ready for baptism? They've repented and they've believed. We talk it around here, repent, turn, believe, trust. They've repented and believed, they've turned and they've trust, trusted in Jesus. Did I do that when I was a baby? No, no. Did I do that when I became a follower of Jesus in the water there? Well, you could say that, but on the one hand, I don't know if the people on the beach would constitute the community of God's people who would recognize me as being part of the body of Christ. Actually, it was a thunderstorm, and they were yelling at me that I was a crazy idiot to get out of the water. <laughs> and so we, we, we respond to the Lord, baptism. Acts 2 says about people who are baptized, they received the word. Interesting thought. What did they receive? They received the fact that we are saved by God's grace through faith. So Jesus did it all. We respond to him by turning to God and putting our trust in him. And then we are baptized. It's also important to notice the doctrine. What is that? Maybe you've heard that word, doctrine. Doctrine is simply teaching. The teaching of the Trinity here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. One name, God, three persons. One what? Three who's. Now, easy to understand in some sense. Not particularly that easy if you really want to delve into it. So this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is this a formula? I don't think it is. I think what Jesus is teaching here is a theological truth. And I know I'm going to make more people angry with what I'm about to say right now. But I think in, in the Old Testament, we knew the Lord as Yahweh. And in the New Testament, we know the Lord as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you will, this is the way now God has revealed the mystery to us. Remember in the, in the Bible, a mystery is something that was once unknown but now is known. And so that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the name can mean into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and under the Lordship of the Trinity. Now, in the, in the Word of God, the, the name is a common way of speaking about God. It encompasses a lot of the characteristics of God, his identity, his power, and his authority, which Jesus just claimed in verse 18. Did you hear what I just said? And did you notice it in verse 18? As Jesus did so many times throughout the four Gospels, Jesus is claiming to be God all the way up until the end. Now, in the book of Acts, we do see people uh, baptizing in the name of Jesus. That may just be a summary statement of in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, but that's okay. People baptize in the name of Jesus. Don't be like, oh, no, I was baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, some people say you baptize in the name of Jesus only. 
I would be very aware, be aware of those people. That is indeed a formula. So the apostles taught that baptism is identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus as your whole self goes into the water. Picture, here's you. You go into the water, you're going into the grave, and you're being raised to the newness of life. So you're identifying with Jesus. Baptism is a matter of identification. You're identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Now, sometimes people will say the water, think of the water cleansing you from your sins, and you, wait, you, you come out and you're clean. I, I get that. I think, though, it's more so identifying with his death and resurrection. Baptism declares the profound truth that followers of Jesus are brought by God into a new existence. And again, that takes place by grace. We grab a hold of it through faith. So let's look at verse 20 again. Jesus says, teaching them to observe. Some versions again say, obey all things that I have commanded you. Let's stop right there. So baptism is near the beginning of the Christian life. You're taught a little bit about Jesus. You, you receive Jesus. You get baptized. But being taught and teaching others about Jesus is for the rest of our lives. So maybe you're wondering, why do we teach the Bible here at Calvary Chapel verse by verse? Why do we teach it book by book? Because Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things. All things. It would be a lot easier just to skip and only talk about what I want to talk about. You see that in a lot of guys on television. Somehow it always ends up with healthy and wealthy. How How do they do that? Because they're really not teaching the way Jesus said. We teach people to observe all things. Now that observe all things doesn't mean we're passive learners. We observe, see, in their way of thinking, to learn and to do were one act. If you say, well, I know it, I'm just not doing it. That didn't make sense to them. Some people say, well, I'm saved, but I'm just not walking with the Lord. In their way of thinking, that didn't make, a sen- that didn't make sense at all. So the, the goal is to be actively living lives that are pleasing to God, that comes as the Holy Spirit imparts or gives the grace of God to us, the grace to help us live out the Christian life. So this is the heart of making disciples, calling people to faith and trust in Jesus as well as carefully teaching them and modeling for them the Word of God in life. Now today, I get a lot of these pastor emails and free stuff they send me in the mail to get me to buy more of their stuff. They tell you, if you want to draw a crowd, skip the hard parts in the Bible. That, and it works. Yet, did the prophets skip the hard parts? Did the apostles skip the hard parts? Did Jesus skip the hard parts? John 6, the people heard Jesus teach and said, this is a hard teaching. And it said many people left him. And then Jesus turns around to the apostles and goes, you want to leave too? So in that sense, any pastor is to have a hard teaching ministry. Now today, if they're told if you want to put a lot of people in the church, you have to be relevant. Let me ask you a question here at the end of Matthew's gospel. Does Jesus strike you here of being afraid of being irrelevant? Not at all. Maybe we shouldn't tell people to be relevant. Maybe we should tell people to be consumeristic. Because Christianity is not a pick-and-choose faith. It's an all-in faith. We're either in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, same thing, or we are not. And if you're a Bible reader, I'm sure, you know, if you're any length of time, you have some verses highlighted in your Bibles. That's great. You should have verses highlighted in your Bible. But I would also tell you to take a careful look at the verses you didn't highlight. Because they may be the very ones that God wants us to observe. Jesus' teaching ministry is to be our teaching ministry. We are to mind the glorious riches of the Word of God. As the Apostle Paul said, we are to declare the whole counsel of God. 1 Corinthians 1.21, the Apostle Paul wrote, 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. They think they know what they're doing, but they don't. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, you say, so we preach a foolish message? I don't think that's really it. I think it's foolish to the hearers. People hear it and they go, what are they going on about? What are they talking about? I'm a good person. I don't need any of this stuff. But we need to listen carefully to the Lord. The careful teaching of the Word of God is how we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is God's way. Discipleship is the process by which we are transformed and discipling is one disciple helping another disciple grow in their faith. Notice Jesus says, teaching them. That's all of us. Disciples are not some special group. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. That's why we study. And the result of study should produce a lifestyle, this is soul-searching thought, that is noticeably different than the rest of the world. Now, all of this may sound very overwhelming to you, but number three gives us something very important. Number three is the assurance. The assurance. We might call this the great comfort of the Great Commission. Second half of verse 20. Jesus says, And lo, I am with you always, forth all, always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's think, look at that again. And lo, some versions say behold, some say remember. Jesus might be saying, don't ever forget this. This is really important. That's why it's the last thing he tells us. Like, don't forget the last thing. I am with you always. What does that mean? Literally, it means I am with you the whole of every day. We might say every moment of every day, even to the end of the age. For about the last 12 years, maybe even longer, I have had and still do had this verse taped to a light on my desk. I see it every day, countless numbers of times a day. This is a breathtaking promise. This is, this is an incredible promise to every follower of Jesus. I am with you always. Loved ones, you are never alone in the Christian life. You are never alone in your service to God. You say, well, no, no, no. He's talking to the apostles. That's just the apostles. Remember, they are representative disciples And Jesus said, even to the end of the age, and we're certainly not there yet, are we? Although it might feel like it. It's on the basis of this that Jesus invites you. Jesus invites me to make our story to be part of his story. Not out of guilt but out of the real presence of Jesus in our lives. It's interesting to watch how the other gospel writers end their gospels after the resurrection. Some have appearances of Jesus. Other people, and even the book of Acts, talk about Jesus ascending into heaven. But Matthew ends it here. Why? Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. It means that he was a Jew that was collecting taxes for the hated Romans. So he was the most hated among all the Jews. He knew what it was like to have his life dramatically changed. He knew what it was like to experience the love of Jesus. And for Matthew, it wasn't like, well, he went and into heaven and that was it. You see, for Matthew, he realized 
that the story of Jesus goes on. Because to Matthew, Jesus, and he's writing many years after Jesus had ascended to heaven. He was there. He was a witness of all of this. He's an apostle. To Matthew, Jesus never left. Oh, sure, he left, he left physically, but spiritually, Matthew knew that he was with him. And you can read how that all works itself out at the Last Supper, John 13 through 17, as Jesus talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And since Jesus rose from the dead and is still with us spiritually, he calls us to be disciple makers. And here's what you got to remember. That Jesus is with us in our successes and, with our fail- and in our failures. And what Jesus is looking for is not what Americans define as success and failure. What Jesus is looking for is faithfulness. It's a beautiful thing about Jesus. Notice how Matthew frames this great commission. Everybody puts the emphasis on what we got to do. And it is a command. I get it. But notice how he frames it. He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. This virus, this virus is under the authority of Jesus Christ. Loved ones, don't forget that. Do not forget that. I'm not saying you got to like it, but don't forget that. I feel in some ways God is telling all of us to say, okay, am I getting your attention now? So he frames it on the one hand that he has all authority, and on the other hand, the other part of the frame is he says, or brackets you could say, he says, I'm with you always. And what's in between? Make disciples. Because of my authority, because I'm with you always, go make disciples. This gospel opened up in chapter 1 with Jesus being referred to as we Christmas time we sing the song Emmanuel God with us and notice it just closed with the same thing that God is with his people instead of ending with a command Jesus ends with a comfort that in the person of Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit God is with us now and forever That's how we can go on when we're anxious. That's how we can share the good news and the hope that is within us when we are afraid because of Jesus' authority and because we are never alone. Think about that, loved ones, as you you go through your day. You're never alone. Having a good day, you're not alone. Having a bad day, you're not alone. Having a boring day, that word's not even in my vocabulary. Having a boring day, you're not alone. Having an exciting day, you're not alone. Having a horribly heartbreaking day, you are not alone having a wonderful, encouraging day. You are not alone. Each day, as he did on the cross, Jesus gave himself for you. Each day, when you have put your trust in Jesus, Jesus gives himself to you. Jesus' resurrection power and personal presence will sustain us every day, no matter what life throws at us. But there's one condition on all this. The angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 that, um, that Jesus would save his people from their sins. So you have to become one of Jesus' people. 
Jesus gave himself for you on the cross. So what's the response you need to do? You need to give your response. You need to give yourself back to Jesus. Respond to him giving himself for you by giving yourself to him. And so we'll close with that classic verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's just think about that for a second. For God so loved the world. God so loved you. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Like I've told the church here many times before. I got two boys, love them to death, love the people in our church to death, but I wouldn't let them die for you. Just wouldn't do it. I'm too selfish. But God gave us his only begotten son, his one and only special son. So what can we say? That God took the first step towards us. People are always saying, you got to come to Jesus. You got to come to Jesus. You got to come to Jesus. No, God took the first step towards you. God took the first step towards me. And we give ourselves by trusting in Jesus. He says that whoever believes in him, whoever, that would be whoever. That would be you. That would be me. Who believes, more similar to our word, trust in him, in Jesus, giving ourselves to God by trusting Jesus and committing ourselves to Jesus. That's not religion. It's entering into a life of being a disciple, of making disciple and telling others out of the overflow of our heart. For God so loved the world that he, and then when we receive Jesus, he fills our heart with his love and we respond to others. That whoever believes in him should not perish. That, that's hell. That is eternity apart from God, but have everlasting life. That's heaven. That's living in the presence of Jesus forever. From now into eternity. In these days in which we are living, it is so important to remember that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, we have to understand that that comes from a letter written to a church. And so who would be you? You would be disciples, would be learners and followers of Jesus. So nothing can separate a follower of Jesus from the love of God. Not a virus, not economic uncertainty, not the unknown, not even death. That's why God's always telling us, do not be afraid. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, right now, Jesus is with you. But when you close your eyes, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and you go on to the next life, not only will Jesus be with you, but you will be with Jesus. And that is the glorious promise that Matthew makes to us in his gospel. Let's pray.